Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Amen. As you grab your seat, grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to the book of Zephaniah. Now, as I say Zephaniah, you might be thinking, Zephaniah? Is that in our Bible? <laughs> Indeed it is. Uh, it's a little tough to find, so you can turn to your table of contents and uh, find it that way. But if you're a person who doesn't like to ask for directions when you're lost, find the Gospel of Matthew and go left. Back a few pages, uh, just a few books of the Bible back, and you will find Zephaniah there. Matthew, Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, and then you'll find Zephaniah. The word I want to put in front of you this morning is the word astounding. Astounding. Do you ever use that word? Astounding. It's a word to describe something that causes you to be amazed. It's something that is jaw-dropping, something stunning, staggering, extraordinary, absolutely incredible. It is something that is truly marvelous. It's something that takes your breath away and leaves you speechless. Have you ever been astounded by something? Maybe it was that natural phenomenon like seeing the Grand Canyon in person and feeling so small, so amazed at what that hole in the ground is. I mean, if a hole in the ground can lead you to be astounded, oh my goodness, this morning you should really be astounded. Or maybe it was that event that left you saying, I can't believe my eyes. Maybe the birth of your children or maybe that, that football game that uh, your team eked out at the end. They made the big comeback. Or maybe it was that first kiss from your spouse back in the day. Yeah, baby, yeah. (laughs) Today, I pray that if you've never been astounded before, that today you'll leave here astounded today, right? And if you have been astounded before, then, then I pray that you'll be astounded again. Because today, we're talking about the astounding love of God. Today, we're actually going to look at the entirety of the book of Zephaniah. But before we dig into the buffet of God's word in Zephaniah, I want to give you just an appetizer here in Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17. So I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of of the word of God this morning. Zephaniah 3 verse 17. As you stand, the Bible is indeed God's word to us. It is his self-revelation, right? He is spoken to us through human authors. And so what the Bible says, God says, and God says this. Zephaniah 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Let's pray together. Father, Just that appetizer, God, we can't wait for the full meal now as we think about the astounding love, your astounding love this morning. Help us, God. There are so many things in this world that that make us marvel and we get excited about, but God, I pray this morning that you would quietly move us to be astounded by your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Grab your seat there. So here's today's takeaway I am praying that you and I would marvel at the astounding love of God. That's the proper response to something that's astounding. You 
marvel at it. Marvel at the astounding love of God. Be moved. Let your jaw drop. Let your mind and heart well up into an overflow of, wow, that is astounding. So I want to point you to four things this morning that make God's love astounding. Four things that God's love leads him to do that are truly astounding. So marvel at the astounding love of God that does these four things. First, the astounding love of God reaches out far to bring you into close relationship with him. Let me say that again. He reaches out far. God's love, God's astounding love reaches out far to bring you into close relationship with him. That's the entire pre-story leading up to the book of Zephaniah here. Right? I mean, that, that's the whole motivation behind all of the Old Testament history leading up to the prophets and the book of, uh, of Zephaniah makes no sense whatsoever if we don't understand that it's God reaching out, bringing us into close relationship with him. You see, God in his love desired to bless the world. And to bring that about, he reached out far to bring the nation of Israel in to close relationship with him. Actually, when you look at the Old Testament, right, at this point in the beginning when he's reaching out, there is not even a nation of Israel in existence. God brought it into existence, right? There was only Abraham, who wasn't even Abraham yet. He was only Abram at the time. The book of Genesis tells us that Abram was far off in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, far off from the land that God would give to Israel, and yet God reached out far to bring him close into relationship. We read in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, 2, and 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right here we have in the word of God the beginning of the nation of Israel. And God made a covenant with Abram, and he began to bless Abram. And eventually, through that blessing, God decided that the word, the, the, the name Abram no longer fit this man. And so God gave Abram a new name. Genesis 17, verse 3 through 6. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, which, which literally means exalted father. That's what Abram means, exalted father in Hebrew. But your name shall be Abraham, which means, again, in Hebrew, not, not, not exalted father, but father of a multitude. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. God reached out far to bring Abraham and his lineage into covenant. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac became the father of Jacob, whom God renamed Israel. God loves to do that, doesn't he? Right? He takes us where we are and brings us into covenant, and no longer that old person can't fit what right, you, the, the, the new stuff here. So he has to give you that new name. And so God here changes the name of Jacob into Israel. And so God gave Israel 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel that made up the nation of Israel. God had this covenant with Israel and eventually deepened that covenant 
through Moses, through what we now call the Old Covenant, bringing, again, Israel into a deeper, more direct relationship with God. And it's that covenant relationship that is the grounds for the book of Zephaniah. Why did God do all that? Why did God go way of his way to bring a people who were far off close to himself for his glory? I mean, doesn't that sound like the right thing to say? For his glory? And the answer is, yeah, that's right. It was for his glory, but. It was for his glory, but. You see, God doesn't need us to glorify him. You know, and we, we got to get this this morning. His glory is glorious whether we glory in it or not. You know what I'm saying? Let me say it again. His glory is glorious whether we glory in it or not. So he didn't do all of that for his glory for himself. Yeah, it was for his glory, but it wasn't for himself. He's not some needy celebrity who's always trying to do something to get attention so that his ego can be stroked. No, God did it all for his glory for us. For us. You know, he doesn't need us to glory in him. We need to glory in him. You see, God glorifying himself is an act of love toward us. In fact, it's God's love for us that motivated him to reach out to people who were far off to bring them close into relationship with him. And God is still doing that. Amen? Right? God's still doing that. He did that for me. He did that for every other Christian in this room and in the world. And he will do that for you if you are not yet a Christian. Ephesians 2 verses 1, 2, and 3 gives us a picture of exactly how far off we were from God. And how far off you are at this moment from God if you are not now in Jesus Christ. The Word of God says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest. And as I read that, it's like, dude, that's far. You, you were so far from God that it's like you were spiritually dead, like you were in the grave. But Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3 is followed up by Ephesians 4, 5, 6, and 7. See, there's more here to the story. It says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of what? The great what, church? Love, with which he loved us even now when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised up with him and seated with us, uh, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You see, church, it was God's love that brought us who were far off close to God. In fact, according to this text, through Jesus Christ, we're not just brought close, we're brought into the very presence of God. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. 
God just didn't bring us close. He brought us very close. God and his love has brought us into a deep, intimate, covenant relationship with himself. And that, beloved, is astounding. That's astounding. Second, the astounding love of God responds with appropriate discipline when you go astray. It responds with appropriate discipline when you go astray. So that brings us to the immediate catalyst behind the book of Zephaniah here. You see, God had brought the nation of Israel into close relationship with himself, but Israel was prone to put distance between them and God. Right? They were prone to wander. Israel habitually went astray, turned away from God. They were an exceedingly obstinate people. Does that sound like anybody y'all know? I don't want to see any elbows. My wife likes to elbow me sometimes when preachers are preaching. All right? So don't be elbowing anybody this morning. But God loved them too much to simply throw them away. As obstinate as they were, as far off as they were, as they would put distance between God, God would bring them close and they would run away again. God loved them too much to simply throw them away. See, the Bible says that love bears all things. And therefore, God didn't toss them out in the street. He disciplined them. That's what astounding love does. Astounding love responds with appropriate discipline when you go astray. And astray is where we find the nation of Israel here in the book of Zephaniah. The nation that was once united under King David and under King Solomon is broken into two kingdoms, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. The division was brought about by the people being unfaithful to God. And that unfaithfulness continued both in the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Zephaniah here is a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah uh, in the late 600s BC, a century before the, the, the kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom had already been wiped off the face of the planet by Assyria. God had already judged them, already disciplined them. But here in the late 600 BC, Zephaniah is prophesying to the people and God stirred up in his love for them, decreed discipline for them. You see, God in his love was going to bring out the whooping stick. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all mom and daddy used a whooping stick from time to time. You needed it, right? And God's about to do that. And so we read Zephaniah 1, 1 through 9. Look at the Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly, this is the Lord speaking now, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I'll sweep away man and beast. I'll sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal, the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him, be silent before the Lord God. 
For the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. And eventually, that's exactly what God would do. What God is prophesying here, he brought about through the hand of the foreign nation of Babylon who would crush Judah, take them into exile for a period of time. You see, God loved them too much to let them continue to worship a false god. God loved them too much to let their leaders lead them into sin. God loved them too much to let them continue in their injustices. You see, that's what love does. Beloved, isn't that why you discipline and still discipline your own children? I mean, wasn't it because you love them too much to let them continue to do that which is wrong, right? That which is hurtful, that which would destroy them. And because you love them too much to let that happen, you have disciplined them. And as your earthly fathers and mothers were driven to do such actions because of love, how much more is our heavenly father driven by love to discipline If our imperfect love pushes us to discipline our children, how much more does God's perfect love? Hebrews 12, 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And it hurts. Some of you have been cut hard by God. But Hebrews 12, 11 tells us, just a few verses later, it says, for the, moment of all, uh, for the moment, all discipline seemed painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Those of you this morning who have been disciplined by God, you know both sides of what the writer of Hebrews is talking about, right? You have felt the unpleasantness of the discipline. The discipline was awful, right? Whatever it was, however it came about, it humbled you. It brought you to your senses. It gave you great regret in your heart, and it galvanized your soul to never do it again, right? And God, through that, has brought much fruit, much holiness into your life. Church, are you happy and glad this morning, although it hurts that God responds with appropriate discipline when you go astray. Amen. Be astounded that God doesn't just give up on us. He doesn't just give up on us. In love, he corrects us. Third, the astounding love of God restores you to a place of blessing and favor. Yeah, he disciplines you, but then he comes back and restores you to a place of blessing and favor. The first chapter of Zephaniah is devoted to disciplining the nation of Judah. Then chapter 2, part of chapter 3, is dedicated to the judgment of the nation surrounding Judah. Those who were troubling Judah. But I want you to look at what God promised to Judah after the impending discipline. Zephaniah chapter 3, and this is where we'll finish up today in chapter 3 here. Zephaniah 3 verses 9 through 13. Listen to what God says. 
God says, for at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a, spure, to, to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you've rebelled against me. For then I will remove them from your midst, your proudly exultant ones. And you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek the refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies. Nor shall there be found in their mouth. A deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. You see, beloved, God was going to bring them low, but he was not bringing them low to crush them. He was bringing them low that he might build them back rightly. Kind of like that old car that you might see in a field. Driving down the road, especially around here, right? People love to park junk cars out in the field. That old car set out in the field, man, it is rusted. It is roached out from being neglected for so long. The tires are all flat. The, the, the glass is busted in. And there's usually a tree growing up through the engine area. But those who love old cars, they, they, might, they might haul that car out of the field and into the garage but when it gets into the garage, what do they do? You're like, they bring it in there, and then it looks like they're going to completely destroy it then because then they take everything and they tear it all apart. The entire car is dismantled. But it's not being dismantled to be destroyed. It's being dismantled to be restored. And they take grinders and torches and, and all sorts of other tools, and then slowly but surely they restore that old car back to showroom quality. Church, I want to say to you this morning, that's how God works. God just doesn't leave us in the field as a wreck. He doesn't just drag you into the garage to dismantle you, destroy you, throw you into the car crusher. God longs to, dis to restore you. He longs to restore you. He wants to take your wreck, my wreck, and make you like new, even better then you, you see, God's love drives him to restore you to a place of blessing and favor. How many of you are glad this morning that when God disciplines you, he's not through with you? Like Paul said in Ephesians 1, 6. He said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's why Judah was instructed in Zephaniah, Zephaniah 3, verse 14 and 15. They're instructed, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Israel. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear, evil, what was destroyed and looked like would never come back. God has restored and he wants to do that in your life and my life. God finishes up the book of Zephaniah by saying this, verse 19 and 20. 
Zephaniah 3, verse 19 and 20. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I'll bring you in, at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes. Before your eyes, says the Lord. You see, beloved, in Jesus Christ, God is saying the same thing to you and to me. God desires to change your shame into praise and give you renown in all the earth. God desires to restore you before your very eyes. Because you're worthy? Is it because you're worthy? No way. None of us are worthy. And here's what we got to get in our hearts today. God does it because he loves you. God loves you. And that's astounding. Which brings us to the final way that God shows astounding love. The astounding love of God finally rejoices over you as his beloved. What I gave you is the appetizer here at the beginning of the message is now the cherry on top. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, right? This is the Lord speaking here to his people, Judah, which we are part of through Jesus Christ. So these promises spoken to Judah come to Jesus Christ and therefore to us here. Therefore, this is a word directly to us, every one of us who are in Jesus Christ. Zephaniah 3, 17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Can you imagine God doing that? Can you imagine that? I mean, yeah, God who who, who went so far to bring me near. I mean, given what I've done, knowing who I am, knowing what I deserve. This might seem a step too far, doesn't it? That he would rejoice over you, exult over you. Again, this God who brought us from far. This God who, like a loving father, has disciplined us when we went astray. This God who has restored us to favor and blessing. But isn't there just the least bit of begrudging in the Lord that he had to do all that? I mean, I did it, but I shouldn't have had to. You ever think that maybe that's in God's mind? Isn't there this feeling that God might be thinking, yeah, you're in, but you better not forget how close you were to not being in. I've got my eye on you. You see, we have the mindset of the prodigal son. Y'all remember the story of the prodigal son? The mindset of the prodigal son who returning home to his father, where did he expect to live after he came back? In the servant's house, didn't he? right? He he expected to be put up in the servant's house instead of his father's house. But that's not what happened at all. As the prodigal approached, the father did not remain aloof. The father did not remain dispassionate. You see, what happened is he ran to meet his son and he grabbed the son around the neck and he put a ring on his finger and a robe on his back and called for the fatted calf to be slaughtered for the party that he was about to throw for his 
son. That is God's response to us. He doesn't want to put us in the servant's house. He wants to put us in the father's house. John Piper has some excellent instruction for us here. He said this. This is good. He said, we must banish from our minds forever any thought that God admits us begrudgingly into his kingdom. As though Christ found a loophole in the law, did some fancy plea bargaining, and squeaked us by the judge. No way! God himself, the judge, put Christ forward as our substitutionary sacrifice. And when we trust him, God welcomes us with bells on. He puts rings on our finger, kills the fatted calf, throws a party, shouts a shout. As we see here in Zephaniah chapter 3, 17. Shouts a shout that shakes the ends of creation and leads in, leads in the festal dance. Someone may ask, isn't that a bit unseemly? A bit undignified for God to get so excited and shout and carry on this way? Piper continues, but I answer, remember David's wife, Michael? When David danced with joy before the Lord with all of his might, Michael despised his immoderate display of emotion, and the Lord struck her barren for the rest of her life. For he intends to be highly enjoyed, and one day he will show us how to rejoice with all of his might. Beloved, I say to you this morning, if you are in Christ, God is thrilled to have you. He is thrilled to have you. You are not an interloper. You are a beloved son and daughter. Yeah, I mean, you've made some total wrecks. And you've made tons of fender benders over the years. But you are his child. And nothing can separate you from the love of God. Sometimes I wish all five of my children were still small enough to fall asleep in my lap, rocking them to sleep. Some of them getting big enough, they rock me to sleep now. But I still wish, you know, you just have that moment as a mom and dad, if they could just be babies again. Fortunately, I still have two that aren't too big yet. Now, mamas can relate to this much more than daddies. But all parents have had those days where that child has been a raging terror. Amen? <laughs> now mamas and dads are elbowing kids here, right? He or she did everything they were not supposed to do. <laughs> they disobeyed. They broke stuff. They hurt people. They screamed. They cried. They said, Mama, 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 a million times. And they have worn you to a frazzle. But as he or she lies there in your arms, with their little eyes closed, their little lips pooched out, and the little body rising and falling with every breath, and snuggled in so closely to your chest, there is a sense of deep, deep joy and love and marvel that rises up in your heart. Praise God that God, I mean, God did that, didn't he? 
That's His grace that they're so precious when they're asleep. Because we don't know if we can take another day of that, right? But it's God's grace and you look down and suddenly all that they did that day is washed away by how precious your beloved child is. And they're in the dark. They're in the dark. What do you do? You sing over that child. It may just be a hum. It may be words, right, that are actually you're singing a song, and it may not even be a song that's praising that baby, but you're praising God who gave you that baby. Amen? If you do that, how much more does your perfect God do that over you? Zephaniah 3.17, listen to it again. And guys, take this in. Don't let this... Don't let this go in one ear and out the other. This needs to go in one ear and lodge in your heart today. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you, you, with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. If that's not astounding, I don't know what is. This morning, God has declared his love for you. Each and every one of you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, that you could be brought into a close relationship no matter how far away you are. And if this morning you're here and you're not yet in Christ, you've yet to repent and believe on Jesus, you right now are experiencing a portion of the love of God, but you will never experience the fullness of the love of God until you come in by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So I invite you this morning, come in. God has declared his love for you. And he has done amazingly marvelous things. Here's my final prayer this morning. May God's love blow us away and draw us into greater love for him. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your savior. 
Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.